We're working our way through this sermon series called Who is Jesus? We have just a few messages left in this series. Tomorrow on Good Friday, we'll investigate his immeasurable sacrifice. On Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, Pastor Zardi will preach on his indisputable victory. But for tonight, on the night which we understand that Jesus instituted this meal, we'll take a look at his supernatural gift. Our text is a scripture verse that you're pretty familiar with. They're the words of institution from 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, he took wine, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, this holy evening, we think of your son Jesus and what he's about to endure. He did it for us. He did it for me. But before he went to the cross, he institutes this holy meal that we're about to enjoy. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, but it's more than just a meal of remembrance. It's a meal of forgiveness. So today, let us understand well this supernatural gift. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name, and together we all say, Amen. So Jesus introduces this meal in the upper room. He's around the table with his 12 disciples. This happens on the night uh, that he was betrayed, right? And I want to talk about this in a couple ways. I want to talk about what it is. I want to talk about what it does. And then some really interesting historical tie-ins to the Passover. But let's start here. This supernatural gift is his true body and his true blood. True body and true blood. One more time through the scripture I just read because I want to point out some words. 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Right, So he had bread and he gave thanks and then he broke it and he said, this is my body. So Jesus is saying this bread is bread, but it's also my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way then after supper, he took wine. He took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. So Jesus is saying, this is wine, but it's also my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that God is really present in this meal. It is bread, it is wine, but with the word, with the promise of God to be with us, he is present in us with the bread mysteriously is his body. We don't know how. We let mysteries be mystery. God says so, so we believe him. With the wine, Jesus says, this is my blood. We don't know how. But mysteriously, we understand it's true because it's God's promise. So we let holy mysteries be holy mysteries. Martin Luther writes a lot about communion. We won't share a ton, but this is from his small catechism. He says, the Lord's Supper is true body and true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. So it's still bread, it's still wine, but it truly is somehow Jesus' body and his blood. One more piece of scripture to make this even more clear. 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing, this wine, Paul says, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? So even Paul is saying it's wine, but it's also Jesus' blood. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Paul is saying it's bread, but it's also uh, Jesus' body. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the bread. 
So the bread and, and wine, body and blood, and I like to talk to the confirmands about this whenever I get the privilege of teaching the 7th and 8th grade uh, religion class because kids in their early teens like this stuff. They like blood. <laughs> they like gore. And we bring up this idea of, frankly, at its best, this is strange. At its worst, it's revolting. God, why do you require so much blood? That's gross. Why couldn't it just be um, every family once a year burns $10 worth of wheat and let that be like your sacrifice to God, like your payment for sin? Wouldn't that be better than this disgusting idea of Old Testament bulls and goats being slaughtered that Jesus had to go to a cross and shed his blood? Well, this points to the weight of our sin. Our sin is so egregious that it costs the Son of God his blood. Let me explain it to you this way. You can tell how big a fire is by how big the rescue is. If it's a small fire, one firefighter shows up with a fire extinguisher and puts it out. That's all that was needed. If it's a huge, destructive, deadly fire, maybe 10 engines show up. Maybe six fire companies make it out there to stop the destruction. How grave our sin must be that required the blood of Jesus to make the situation right. It wasn't $10 worth of burnt wheat that would make things right. It took the bloody sacrifice of the Son of God to buy us out of our sin. And that's what we look forward to tomorrow, the day we remember his death that really happened. The Son of God really died in your place. He really died in my place because sin had to be paid for. And it wasn't a small payment of burnt wheat. It was a bloody sacrifice. And it's as if Jesus was saying to the Father, Lord, take Mark down off that cross, or whoever, whatever your name is. Take them down off the cross. I know they, they deserve it, but let me die instead in their place. If you tend to look at your sin like it's no big deal, look at what it cost God to set you free from it. Well, secondly, the supernatural gift delivers the forgiveness of sins. It's his body and his blood. What does it do? It truly gives us the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. That's the agreement, the promise. He says, it's poured out for many. And then what's the last part? For the forgiveness of sins. This sacrament is a means of grace. This is a religious phrase, which means this is how God has chosen to give us stuff. It doesn't just happen like in the snap of a finger. God has chosen a delivery system. We have three means of grace, according to the Bible. One is the Word of God. When you hear the preaching of the Word of God, when you read the Bible, you are getting, you're on the receiving end of a delivery system of God giving you His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy and His encouragement. And the other two are our two sacraments, holy baptism. When someone is baptized with the water and the Word, the Bible says they receive forgiveness. They are washed clean of their sin. And the third is what we're talking about tonight, this holy meal, this bread and wine, this body and blood. It delivers the forgiveness of sin. Think of Holy Communion as a conveyor belt or a highway or a river or one of those vacuum tubes at the drive-thru at the bank. I never use those because I'm afraid they're not going to work. But people use those all the time. And I look over and there's the lady and she puts all of her paperwork in that thing and up over there. And then the lady inside has it. And she takes the paper out and she fills it full of money. (laughs) And then it comes back out and it's the delivery system. Now the lady in the car has been delivered this great blessing. The same exact thing happens at at Holy Communion. You'll come forward and receive the bread and wine, the body and the blood. And it's delivering to you all the benefits that Jesus earned on the cross. Let me say that again because that's important. When you receive Holy Communion, you're receiving all the benefits that Jesus earned for you on the cross. It's a delivery system. 
1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, forgives us of our sin. We receive that in the holy meal. And what about this idea of the small phrase for you? So beautiful. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Make it personal. Let it be personal. It's a beautiful thought that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but think about it this way tonight, that he died for you. When you receive the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, know that it was for you personally, one-on-one, that he died. Now some Passover connections. Interesting for sure. Uh, Passover is the oldest continuously celebrated holiday in the world. We'll talk about what it is in a minute, but it was instituted when the first Passover happened. And actually some historians differ. It doesn't really matter, but some say there was a break while the children of Israel were in captivity in uh, Babylonia and Persia. But for sure, when Nehemiah and Ezra came back to build the wall uh, in Jerusalem, it was reinstituted. So for sure, it's the longest continuously celebrated holiday in the world. Every year, Jews around the world this day celebrate the Passover. So you remember the story. The children of Israel are slaves They're slaves in Egypt, and Moses, their representative, goes to the king, Pharaoh, and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, okay. And then he says, no, I don't want to. And then he says, okay, again. And there's kind of this back and forth, this bizarre thing. And God is watching, and he says, Pharaoh, knock it off. Let my children go, or I'm going to bring 10 plagues on the land. Remember the 10 plagues? One was they were turning water to blood, and then there were gnats, and there were frogs, and then there were um, sores on on your skin. And, And the 10th one the very last one that God promises to bring is the angel of death. God says, if you don't let my people go, the angel of death will sweep over Egypt and the firstborn of every family will die, animals included. But he says to the Hebrews, his children, he says, do this. On that night, slaughter a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish, and take the blood and smear it on the doorpost of your house. And when the angel of death sweeps over Egypt, he will see that bloody sacrifice and he will pass over your house. We read about it in Exodus 12, uh, 12 through 13. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord but the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So the first connection in Holy Communion to Passover is a sacrificial lamb. A lamb had to be killed by these Old Testament Hebrews and the blood smeared on the doorpost so they would be saved. And Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He is the lamb of God. His cousin shows up uh, at his introduction to the world, John the Baptist, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the perfect sacrificial lamb. The Old Testament Jews had uh, to sacrifice a perfect animal to pay for their sins. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and let's talk about it again. In Hebrews 10, the letter to the Christians that, are, that are, were Jewish as well, uh, in the 10th chapter, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And I made a big deal out of this a couple weeks ago when we preached on it, because Jesus sat down, and you sit down when you're done. Remember, we talked about this hand gesture. That means I'm done. Jesus could have done this. He didn't. Instead, he sat down, because one time is all it took 
for the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This perfect sacrificial lamb, this Jesus, if you go into our sanctuary, the stained glass windows, the one all the way up to the right, uh, the front on your right is a stained glass of a lamb. It's a sheep. That's weird. Why would a church have that? Because that's Jesus. He gave himself up as our sacrificial lamb. Some of you on Easter at your meal, instead of a, um, a stick of butter, you'll have a Pascal lamb. You'll have a lamb in the shape of butter. You know what that's for? That's because we remember Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God. All right, second connection to Passover is the unleavened bread, bread without yeast in it, because yeast is a symbol of sin. Now, the unleavened bread used at the Passover is to remember that the Hebrews had to flee. They had to go quickly. They didn't have time to let their bread rise. So they ate their bread flat. You will come forward and you won't get a big piece of bread that had yeast in it. You'll get a small wafer. It's bread without leavened. It's unleavened bread. They had to flee quickly. Pharaoh was coming, so they didn't have time to let their bread rise. So they ate it that way. But for us, it's a little bit different. Luke 12, 1, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus is pointing out specifically in this case, uh, hypocrisy is one of the sins. But generally, yeast is talked about in the New Testament as sin because it invades the whole thing, the whole dough. You can't put yeast in a little bit of, little bit of the dough. It affects the whole thing. And we eat unleavened bread, unleavened bread in this holy meal, not as a remembrance of how fast the, the Jews had to leave, but for another reason, because it's a symbol of sin. One more place that we can talk about right now, 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens or makes rise the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. Get rid of the sin in your life so that you may be a new unleavened batch, something without yeast in it, without sin, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. I made a big deal at the beginning of the sermon that <clears throat> Jesus' body and blood truly are present in this holy meal. And if yeast represents sin, there ought not to be yeast in the bread, which is his body. Symbolic, I know. We're not breaking any rules by serving you <clears throat> bread that has yeast in it at communion time. But that's the way we recognize that. One of the Passover tie-ins. Finally, Passover is instituted <clears throat> before the Jewish rescue. And the Lord's Supper is instituted before the cross. God's timing is so unique. Let me just remind you of when um, Holy Communion was instituted. Matthew 26, 17. On the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for, uh, for you to eat the Passover? So I'm just showing you to show you the timing. This is way before the death of Jesus, right? We know this is Holy Thursday or Monday, Thursday. And tomorrow, Good Friday, is the day that Jesus died. And God institutes the Passover way back then in Egypt before they were rescued. So the Passover happens, the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death sweeps over the houses, people with blood on the door don't get killed, and eventually the, Egypt, uh, the, the Israelites escape. They make it out of uh, Egypt. They're no longer slaves, but the Egyptian army is chasing them because they want their slaves back. But they come up against the Great Barrier. What are they going to do? They're up against the Red Sea. If they go in, they're going to drown. If they turn around and fight the Egyptian army, they're going to die. It's impossible. They're sunk until Jesus makes a, until until God makes a way. The winds kick up and the water separates. Remember, 
and they cross over on the dry seabed, and they make it to safety. They're delivered out of death. And when the Egyptians chase them into that seabed, the wind relents, and the water swallows them up, and they are drowned. They were facing sure destruction and death, but God made a way. And Jesus later institutes Holy Communion before he made a way where there was no way. He gives us this holy meal before he goes to the cross and buys us back from death. We were up against a barrier that we couldn't overcome. But God made a way through his son, Jesus. And for those of us in the small groups that are working through the curriculum that um, we're following, we, we talked just last week about God's timing. How interesting, how curious. Why does he do things when he does things? Sometimes we fully understand, sometimes we have no idea. And in this case, both times, God institutes the Passover and Holy Communion before the deliverance comes. Short message this evening because we wanted to really spend a lot of time in Holy Communion. It's that special night. A couple of next steps. These are in your worship folder maybe to think about. Maybe review Luther's small catechism and the part that talks about Holy Communion. A catechism is a book of questions and answers. It's used as a teaching device. If you have one, crack it open. If you don't, maybe you want to get one. Get Luther's small catechism. There's a couple other ones available. We want you to have this one. You can get them online. Someone told me in the last service that you can actually download the actual interior, the guts of the book for free online. So maybe do that. Secondly, come forward tonight, this holy meal, trusting God's promise of his presence, that his body and blood are here, and that it will deliver the gift of forgiveness. And finally, tonight, leave communion tonight, and every time you receive it, with the full assurance of forgiveness, wholeness, and... and It's weird for me to say because you can't just do this, but leave full of so much joy you can't stand it because your sins have been forgiven. The biggest problem you face in life by far has been taken care of, and you receive it in this holy meal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our uh, gifts. You've given us the gift of life. You've given us the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. And you have given us the supernatural gift of Holy Communion. We'll approach the table tonight. We ask you to help us to understand the promise that you give, that your son's body and blood are here with these elements delivering the forgiveness of sins. We do it all to your glory, that your name might be known among the nations. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Together we all say, amen. Well, tonight we now transition into that time where we'll celebrate that holy meal that we have spent so much time talking about. Um, But it's a time of preparation right now. I'd like to ask the worship assistants to come and take your places so um, they're ready to serve you when the time comes. We'll commune sections one and four first, as we usually do. Please come up that aisle. Um, and then we'll commune sections two and uh, three, and you'll return, uh, come up the same aisles, you'll return down this um, center aisle. Um, spend, a, spend a moment quiet before God. I know you've already been reminded of the salvation that you have in Christ, but a time of confession. Confession simply means you're agreeing with God. He already knows that we're a mess, <laughs> but just agree with him and confess maybe specific sin, may, maybe just generally that you are broken and blind and you've been trying but failing, because I sure have. And let him hear your confession before I remind you of the perfect work of Jesus and what that accomplished. Friends, on the authority of Scripture, I can remind you of the perfect and complete work of Jesus on the cross. 
and announce to you that your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We have five questions that we ask, and we do this for a couple of reasons. Um, the Bible talks about receiving this meal in an unworthy manner. Unfortunately, over the years, that's been taken to mean you've got to like get to a certain point of goodness. That makes you worthy to receive the meal. That's not at all what that means. This meal is for the broken. It's for the criminal. It's for the immoral. It's for the struggling. If that's you tonight, that's your meal. What it means to receive the meal in an unworthy way is to think that you don't need forgiveness. You're, you're already halfway there. You're one of the good ones. Or it can mean that you don't believe that Jesus is present in this meal. It can mean that you don't think it delivers the forgiveness of sins. So we want you to receive it in a worthy manner because we're not doing it so because we're the religious authority and we'll tell you who gets to have communion or not. The Bible says don't let people receive it in an unworthy manner because it's to their destruction. It's to their harm. So don't be afraid of this, but understand what it is, that you're a helpless sinner. But here's the answer. It's Jesus. We help um, understand that a little bit better with five questions. Um, so, have I been baptized in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do I believe that I'm a sinful human being without hope of eternal life, without God's mercy and grace in Christ Jesus? Third question we ask is, do I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and my personal Savior? Then we examine ourselves by asking, do I believe that Christ is personally present in the bread and wine with his body and his blood? And number five, simply, do I commit by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a godly life? If you answer yes to those questions, this meal is for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the same night which, his, which he was betrayed, this Thursday of Holy Week, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which I give to you now. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, after the meal, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, This is the blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He said, Do this often in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Come forward, friends, and receive this remarkable gift. Jesus Christ given to you for the forgiveness of your sins.